Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Just across Boylston Street at the Boston Public Library, within the Rare Books and Manuscripts Department, in the collection owned by Old South Church, there lies a pamphlet, a sermon, was preached in 1768 by the Reverend Amos Adams, cousin to John Adams, and it is entitled, The Pleasures Peculiar to the Ministerial Life Pointed Out. It's an ordination sermon preached on the occasion of the ordination to the Christian ministry of a young man named Jonathan Moore. And Reverend Adams begins by stating the obvious, every condition and employment hath attendant inconveniences in a manner peculiar to itself. And then over the course of nine long, rather grim pages, he details the inconveniences of the ministerial life. He lays them all out, holding nothing back, elucidating each trial, each suffering, each difficulty to which young Jonathan will no doubt be subjected. I'll skip that portion of his sermon this morning. <laughs> Having addressed himself to the inconveniences, Reverend Adams pivots. He devotes the remainder of his discourse, 29 quite wonderful pages of dense sermonic discourse, to what he calls pleasures peculiar pleasures that are ours, pleasures that have been mine by virtue of this peculiar work in life to which I was called over 40 years ago. And among the peculiar pleasures Reverend Adams names to young Jonathan is this, that there is a church, a body of people prepared from their own treasure to pay him not to cut wood or cobble shoes, or fish for cod, or paint their houses, but to befriend God, to marinate in the scriptures, to immerse himself in theology and train himself in divinity, to hold his congregation on his heart, and in his prayers deliver them to the throne of grace. They support him and provide for him that he might speak the truth, hear their confession, keep vigil with them as they await diagnoses, celebrate with them their successes, and hold in confidence their most intimate failures. They provide for him that he might hold the cooling hand of the dying one, that he might pour the waters of baptism upon, upon the newborn's sweet and perfect brow, that he would pronounce a young couple wed and pray over their dead, and by presenting to them the hope of heaven, give them courage for each day's trials. He reminds young Jonathan that although Jonathan will produce no useful widget, nothing that can be bought or sold in the marketplace, there is a people, a church, a peculiar body of Christ who will provide for him. And for this, he might become intimately acquainted with the love of Jesus and the fierce justice of God. That is a remarkable thing. It awes and floors me 
It is a peculiar pleasure indeed and a humbling one to be the recipient of such determined and heroic generosity. In the course of over 40 years in ministry, from rural Maine to Hartford, Connecticut, from Boise, Idaho, to Framingham, Massachusetts, and then to Boston, I have had the peculiar pleasure to have found myself in the words of the Shaker song, Simple Gifts, in the place just right. I don't know why I have been so very fortunate, but such has been my fortune to have found myself in each case among people who had hearts for God and minds to match. Moreover, people for whom ministry was an adventure and oftentimes an escapade, as we launched ourselves full tilt into a messy world, a bruised and battered world, a patently unjust world, bearing witness as best we knew how to God's radical good news. Here at Old South Church, it has been a peculiar pleasure indeed to work beside Janet Nolan and her columbarium committee. Who knew that establishing a cemetery in one of our chapels would be so much fun and so very meaningful? <laughs> it has been a peculiar pleasure to watch Deb Washington author a curriculum based on the fruits of the Spirit and then lead this old white church into sacred conversations on race, conversations that have forever changed us. It has been a peculiar pleasure to work with Bill and Marilyn, who served as both Old South Church's cheerleaders and mascots, who made everything we did more fun, and who helped to turn the keys that released this congregation's generosity. It was a peculiar pleasure indeed to watch Betty Smith and her board of deacons who in 2005 embraced the prospect of a jazz worship service intended not for those who are here, but for those who are not here, and then supported it, seeded it, watered it until it took root and flourished. It was a peculiar pleasure in the wake of the closing of the bridge to Long Island and the upending of the lives of the city's most vulnerable to watch June Cooper, prod religious and civic leaders, myself included, into action, resulting in the establishment of a day shelter for Boston's unhoused, an outpost of compassion, an oasis of kindness and warmth, absent of shame and blame. It was a peculiar pleasure to observe as Jan Monsma built our Congregational Care and Support Committee, making this big church feel intimate with cards, foods, rides, visits, and a ministry of presence and compassion. It was a peculiar pleasure to watch the brilliance of Quinn Caldwell, so young and so gifted, teaching us to bless, inspiring us to rhyme, while mentoring young seminarians until we became a true teaching church of the United Church of Christ, identifying the best and the brightest, mentoring them and sending them out to serve. One of them, to our great good fortune, boomeranged right back. <laughs> Sean, your support these past years during COVID and in the season of pastoral transition has made all the difference in the world to me and to this church. I, we, could not have done it without you.
Among the pleasures peculiar was observing Marilyn and Diane as they cooked up the Marathon Scarf Project, unleashing knitting needles across the land and around the world, wrapping the, 2000, the 2014 runners a year after the bombings in scarves knit with love and courage. It was a peculiar pleasure to observe the prophetic zeal of Vard Johnson as he led us into what became the church's vision for the 21st century, a bold, outsized vision that made us stronger, better, more vital, and more faithful while sowing the seeds that made us face our financial challenges. It has been a peculiar pleasure watching Paul and Russ and Ralph bring into being our now substantial partnership with Snowden High School with whom we share this block. It was a peculiar pleasure indeed to work with Todd Crony and Wayne Davis, who led our capital campaign, our faith, our time, our future, so that this ship of faith was not being powered mostly by the generosity of previous generations. And so it was that we put our own oars into the water, our own treasure, and pulled hard along with our ancestors. It was a rare and peculiar pleasure indeed to watch Phil Stern shuttle back and forth between Christie's and Sotheby's, securing a hefty minimum bid before the Baysom book even went to auction. It was a peculiar pleasure to work with the 350th Anniversary Committee, led by Paul and Debbie, and the task forces led by Liz, Caroline, and Vard, to take the measure of 350 years, the good and the bad, and to use it as an opportunity to lean, lean into and propel this old church into the future. And what can I say of the peculiar pleasure of working side by side with Helen McCready? and Elias Perez with Ozo, and Richard, and David, with Catherine, Sean, John, Kate, Jamie, Corey, Mitchell, and George, with Willie and Tim, Peter, Ralph, and Martha, Jess and Howard, Don, David, Ken, and June, Sheila and Shirley, Emily, Alex, and Linda, Summer, Ralph, William, and Remy, working with you has been a blast. Thank you all. It was a peculiar pleasure indeed in 2004 to have been courted by the church's senior minister search committee. There often grows a special bond between a search committee and the one whom in their searching they eventually find. I have felt and cherished that bond. Thank you and bless you, Larry, Dwight, Brent, Margaret, Ross, Eli, Betty, Dick, Laurel, Jim, Lois, and of blessed memory, Margaret Linda. It has been a peculiar pleasure indeed to work alongside our church moderators, clerks, historians, and treasurers, alongside our board committee and task force chairs, and our members. Taking a, it takes a mighty host of volunteers who, behind the scenes, attend to the orderly proceedings of a vessel like this. And all of this, all of this that is Old South Church in Boston, the grand sweep of our history, this national historic landmark, 
with its 246-foot tower and the thousands of timber piles holding us up, the 2,000-pound bell, the two pipe organs and seven pianos, the three kitchens, large, medium, and small, the three sanctuaries, large, medium, and small, the gardens, meeting rooms, and the endowment, is all only justified to the extent that it is all marshaled and employed as a vehicle to ferry the gospel down through the generations, to ferry God's good news, which is still good, amen? amen. And still news, amen? these 2,000 years later. All of this, this building, our long history, both storied and sordid, is and must ever be in the service to the story of Easter and our hope of heaven, to be sure, but also to the story of Pentecost and the overcoming of divisions, to the story of Jesus's first sermon and his commitment to the poor, to the story of the Exodus and God's intervention on behalf of the oppressed. It has been and is a peculiar pleasure and the highest privilege to have taken a turn at the wheel of this old ship of faith. You, Old South Church, you are the best of companions, but more than companions, co-conspirators, accessories, and abettors in the work of God. My heart is full. My gratitude is immense. Thank you.